Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hey there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're having a great week, and I'm glad you can join me. Today, I'm going to be talking about how do you help your anxious kids when they're going through life's hiccups. Sometimes we hit big bumps, sometimes we hit small bumps, but if you're an anxious kid, a bump is a bump. And so it's hard to navigate through them. There are things that we can do as parents to make it a little bit easier because life is not predictable and the only consistency in life is change, which I absolutely hate that because I like stability as an anxious person. I like predictability, like all my little anxious kids. And when life throws a curveball, it throws everybody out of whack. So what do you do with that? So it could be a move. It could be changing schools. It could be something big like a divorce or a death. All of those life changes alter their daily routine and their perceptions of how life is supposed to be. And so kids tend to have a really hard time with that. And anxious kids have a really hard time with it because it can unravel everything that felt stable at one point. So I totally get this, obviously, because I was an anxious kid growing up, as I always talk about. And I really thrived on stability and routine. And my parents really thrived on instability and chaos. (laughs) Uh, And I wish that was really funny because it's not. (laughs) So we moved all the time. They were just very, very unstable, both my mom and dad. And so the moves happened suddenly and frequently. And so I know as an anxious child or a recovering anxious child, (laughs) what I needed and what I didn't get. So I'm going to be talking about it from that space, like what I could have used. And I'm also going to be talking about it from a clinical perspective of what the kids that I work with in my practice could use and the things that I see all the anxious kids that I work with struggling on a daily basis and what I tell those parents who are in my practice in how to help them. So we'll we'll get into that. And I think the key is, you know, you can't cocoon your kids from change. Change is going to happen and change is okay. Sometimes you have to change and the thing that you're going to do is going to make life better. So change isn't always a bad thing. And in fact, sometimes we think life is having a really bad change and it turns out that it was the best thing that could have happened. So change isn't bad. And we really want to help our kids understand that and have a different perspective. But when they're going through it, they're not going to have that perspective at all. So when I was a little kid, we would get no warning. It would just be like... um. I'm trying to even think how it would even happen. One time I like sat in bed and I counted how many times I moved and my parents like weren't in the military. <laughs> so if you're like, Oh, she probably like, you know, you know, was raised in the military. No, like they just were unstable and they moved all the time and they moved to different States, which was even worse because not only did I have to get used to like a new house and a new school, but then I had to get used to like a new state and the kind of the state's culture because we moved from the East coast when I was little to Texas, which was huge difference. So from New Jersey to Texas, totally different lifestyle and different people. And then we moved from Texas back to New Jersey 
after seven or eight years. And that was a really big adjustment coming from Texas back to New Jersey. So, and then I just wound up in Arizona, but not knowing where you're going and, you know, if you're going to stay there, that's overwhelming. So there are a couple of important aspects that I think parents can do to relieve some of that stress. And I want to get into those. So somebody had emailed me to suggest this topic. Well, actually they're going through a divorce and they wanted to know how do they help their anxious kid cope with the divorce? And I thought, you know, I could probably make that topic even broader for everybody because it, the question could be, how do you help an anxious kid with any big life change, including a divorce, but really any life change? Let's talk about what you can do if your child's going through any changes. And if they're not going through a change right now, it's kind of nice for you to know even in the future, okay, this is how I'm going to handle life changes for my child. So for starters, we'll cover like the really basic things. Definitely prepare your kids. I think some people maybe who, well, I was going to say some people who don't have anxiety, but it actually could be a mixed bag. Either you have anxiety and so you don't want to deal with your child's reaction to a big change, or you don't have anxiety. So you don't realize how it's really helpful to maybe give somebody a lot of warning, but prepare your child. So if you're getting a divorce, either sit down with your child and your partner or your soon to be ex partner and let them know as soon as you can. Or if you don't know how your partner is going to be, or if they're going to be appropriate, if they're going to, you know, burst into tears and storm out of the house, then don't do it with that partner, but you want to prepare your child as soon as you can. Anxious kids are emotional sponges. They absorb all of our feelings and emotions, and they're really clued into what's happening. So even if you haven't told your child about some big life change and you're like, oh, they don't know about it. We, we only talk about it in the bedroom. I talk to your anxious kids <laughs> for a living and guess what? Nine times out of 10, they do know what's happening. They know play by play. So often I will have a parent session and they'll be like, oh yeah, well, they don't know about what's happening between us. And I'll talk to the child and the child will be like, oh yeah, my dad cheated on my mom and my mom's thinking about leaving him, but they're working on it and they see a therapist and they will know every little detail about the parents. The parents think that the child doesn't know anything. So don't be naive. So it's better to just get it out in the open. And so if somebody's really sick, you know, it's better to start talking about it now. When I was in graduate school, I took this one class that was, I'm not, I don't even know what it was called. Like, I think it was called crisis prevention, but it was all very much about crisis. So it wasn't really a lot about prevention, <laughs> but the one thing that kind of never left me was this thing that we talked about in that class. The instructor had worked at an emergency room and she said, whenever you have to deliver bad news to somebody, you should always do it very slowly. And so you give them one little detail you know, so she worked in the emergency room and so she had to give death notifications, which is so horrible. I could never do that. I guess there's a job for everybody. Right. And so she said that she would go into the waiting room or into the private room, wherever she would have them. And she would say, you know, I'm so sorry, but there was a car accident and blah, blah, blah was in the car accident and kind of let them sit with that. You know, they got hit really bad in the front and we had to bring them in. And so she would go into minute detail about what led up to the death 
instead of just walking in there and saying, I'm so sorry for your loss, but you know, your loved one died. And they did that on purpose for the, like, you know, to have the psyche be able to process that kind of grief because you can go into shock really easily. And so I don't know why, but that really stuck with me, even though I never intended to work in the emergency room or do any kind of death notifications. I just found that kind of fascinating that that was calculated. Like that wasn't a purposeful thing to do it in slow increments. And I feel like on a smaller scale, we can do that with our kids, with our anxious kids, because it's very similar. And so if you know you're moving, but you know, maybe you don't know how to tell your child, then you can say, we're unhappy with the area. And we think that this city next to us is really beautiful. And so we're going to start looking for houses. You know, if you absolutely know the change is happening, start doing these incremental little informational tidbits. Now, yes, it's going to make your life a lot harder in the short term because you're going to have a child that's perseverating and that's anxious, but you're also giving them an opportunity to process it. Now, if you don't know if you're going to get a divorce or you don't know if you're moving or you don't know if um, you might change, make them change schools, then don't tell them or involve them in the decision-making process necessarily. So, well, definitely for the moving and the divorce, don't involve them. (laughs) I think that goes without saying, I hope, but kids feel an incredible amount of burden when they're given adult decisions or they're, they're kind of incorporated into that conversation. Now, if it's a, if it's a change of schools and it involves them, obviously you want to get their input. You know, what is great about your current school? What would be great about going to this school? How about we tour this school? And then we can talk a little bit more. You never want to put your child though in the driver's seat. So I'm all about including your kids in a decision-making process, especially if it has to do with completely them. You know, it's like what school they're going to go to, or if they're going to get a new pet and they're going to have to take care of it. But you don't want to put an adult decision on a child, even if they're 17. You don't want to say, well, it's up to you. Where do you want to go? The school one is probably the only one that may be a little bit different in that sense. And it really depends on your child and what kind of stress they're feeling on, on making that decision of what school to go to, but you still want to take most of the burden and decision on yourself. If it's a divorce situation, you don't want them to be part of the decision-making process. They shouldn't decide what the custody arrangement is going to be. That's not cool. That's not fair to them. So back to what I was talking about, prepare. So if you know you're going to move, maybe you haven't sold the house yet. Maybe you haven't found the right house in the future. And you're saying, well, I'll just wait until all the ducks are lined up in general. Now your child might be different. So you might be like, oh no, Natasha, you do, you do not understand. This is a bad, bad idea. You know, your child the best. I'm just saying in general, overall, all kids are different. It is nicer to plant seeds and let kids know what's coming because even if they're going to start to have a hard time and they're going to start to cry and say, I'm going to miss so-and-so and I'm going to miss so-and-so and I don't want to move. And yeah, you're like, I don't need that burden. It helps their brain process it. So when it does eventually happen, they've had a lot more time to prepare. If you know someone is terminally ill, start preparing them. Grandma is really sick. She has a disease and she's in the hospital. She has a life-threatening situation. You know, we hope that she's going to be okay, but we, we don't know. You know, it doesn't look good. So even if you absolutely know someone's going to pass away, 
it is better to slowly introduce that concept to them. If possible, obviously there are sudden deaths and we can't control that. But in general, the main idea of this point is you want to introduce the change slowly. Now life is messy and that doesn't always happen. People get spontaneously divorced. You know, there's a huge fight and bad things happen and things go sideways really quick. People die suddenly and unexpectedly. Pets die suddenly and unexpectedly. Moves sometimes have to happen rather rapidly. I totally get that because I've lived that life, but if possible, slow it down. On to my next point. If the life change has anything to do with the child on any level, you want to make sure that they don't take any responsibility for the change. So I'll give you examples. Obviously in divorce, a lot of kids, depending on what's happening, it is very typical for kids to take on the burden and think that they did something to cause the divorce. Now, anxious kids tend to take on ownership and responsibility a lot more than typical kids because they're very sensitive. They're very emotional. They're very keyed into everyone else's emotions and feelings and the situation. And so they will personalize it and they will think it's their fault. Even if it's a move that maybe the rest of the family doesn't want, you know, they might think for some reason it's their fault. Or if they have to change schools and it's because maybe the other school wasn't a good fit for them and there's some chaos or some distress going on because of the change. Maybe a sibling has to change as well, or the spouse isn't happy about the move and there's some fighting, whatever the situation is, or even a pet dying. And maybe they feel like they didn't take care of it enough, or you had to put it down. And they think that for some reason it's their fault. Don't assume that because it's so obviously not their fault that they're not interpreting it as their fault. I'm always amazed at what things kids will think are their fault. Things that seem, it seems totally irrational for them to think that they have anything to do with it, but often they do. So be preventative and just clarify to them and say, you know, this has absolutely nothing to do with you, right? We're getting a divorce because we disagree on a lot of grown up things that have nothing to do with you, or we're moving because, you know, we think that this house will be better, or we have to move schools for you because we want the best for you. And it's our decision. We're choosing to do that. Whatever you can do to take the ownership away from them, the better with death. A lot of times, especially younger kids will think it's their fault for some pretty random things because developmentally it's pretty appropriate to be self-absorbed and to think the world kind of revolves around you. I mean, that's how kids are supposed to be developmentally. They eventually move out of that and they can see the bigger world, the bigger picture. But when they're really little, it's, it's like six degrees to me. It's like everything revolves around me. And so they could have had some bad words with somebody who passed away, or maybe they didn't go visit sometime and they will think that that may have caused it. Or maybe they had a cold once and they got near the person. I've heard all sorts of things that contributed to the child thinking it was their fault. So get rid of that. Make sure that there's no guilt involved, especially with the divorce one. That's a big one. Make sure to specify to the child, Hey, this has nothing to do with you. Even if you guys fought mainly about parenting, it had nothing to do with them. And for the divorce, you want to watch your words because I used to hear this way too much. In my practice before I worked only with kids with anxiety and OCD, but the parents will sometimes say, you know, daddy left us or when daddy left us or when mommy left us. And even if the other parent 
does leave and leaves the state or doesn't even have anything to do with the family, you don't want to frame that to the child in that way because it's, there's so many abandonment issues and it's so painful already that as the parent, you don't want to use that kind of language because it's going to make it harder for that anxious kid or any kid really. And I have worked with parents who have used that language when the the other partner didn't leave the state and didn't abandon the child. Like they're it's still in the same city and they're doing a custody arrangement and it's, they're still going back and forth, but the parent is so hurt that they'll say, you know, he left our family or he left us and they'll, they'll use the plural. So watch your language around kids, because even if you're hurt and you're upset, you don't want to do further damage to your kids. So on to the next one. One thing that a lot of times parents don't do is let the child sit in the grief for a little while. And so a lot of times we get a little overzealous in trying to make things better. If we're getting a divorce and we want our child to be excited about the new life, or we're trying to like rev ourselves up to be excited about what's to come, or we're really sad and depressed and we don't want our kids to be upset, or it's like too overwhelming for us to see our kids upset. So we're like, it's going to be great. It's, you know, it's okay. We're going to get a new house and it's going to have a backyard that's bigger and it's going to be so awesome. And Or if they have to, if you guys have to move and then you're like, maybe you're excited about it, maybe you're not, but you're just giving your child a pep talk. And so you're like, oh, this is going to be like the best. It's so pretty there. And you're going to meet so many new friends and you're going to get to start all over. Sometimes that's not helpful because you haven't really acknowledged your child's loss. So an anxious kids need their feelings to be acknowledged. So it may not come naturally to you, but sit with your child's loss for a little while. So what does that look like? That sounds like a very like warm, fuzzy thing to say, but what is that? Well, I'll tell you. So if your child, like if you're going through a divorce, you know, sit with your child for a little while, you know, periodically, not just once and just say to them, I know this is hard for you. I know that it can feel really scary And I know that it feels like your life is all turning upside down. And I totally understand that. And I'm so sorry that you have to go through this. Or if you're moving and you're excited and it's something that you and your partner really want to do, but your child is upset, you can sit with them for a little while emotionally and say, I know that this move is hard for you. I know that you see us all excited and we're so thrilled about the new house and about the new place we're going to be. But I know that you're not, and I know that change is really hard and that you're leaving behind a lot of things. And I know that's going to be really sad for you. So sit with them for a while, or, you know, I'm so sorry that our dog died. I know that he was very old, but you loved him very much. And even though we knew he was going to die, I know that just not having him around now can feel really empty. And so you want to say stuff like that to your child periodically, like not just once so that they, they realize that you acknowledge their pain and that you understand that they're going through something. Now, sometimes as parents, we don't want to do that because we feel like, well, that's a Debbie downer. Like we're just going to like, why would we want to bring our kids down further? If I talk to my child that way, they're going to sob and they're going to be like, yes, that's how I feel. And then I have to try to pick up the pieces and build them back up. Well, yeah, hitting a bump is messy. And sometimes I think we walk on eggshells around our anxious kids. 
And that's not always a good thing. We still want to do good parenting. And sometimes in order to pull off the bandaid, you have to have a little bit of pain to get it off. And so it's okay to sit with those uncomfortable feelings. You want them to feel heard before you move into all of that stuff. And eventually you're going to want to move into that kind of optimistic pep talky kind of mentality, but you should never do that before you validate their pain and what they're going through. Because so many times kids come into my practice and they say, she doesn't get it. She doesn't understand how this is affecting me or they're all happy about the move. And like my life is falling to pieces and then it turns into anger really quickly. So, and with divorce, a lot of times it's all about the parent. Why is he doing this to me? Or why is she doing this to me? Or I can't believe he did that. And I'm, I have no money now. And da, da, da. And they talk a lot about personal adult issues and the child's like, well, this is affecting me too. And I, I would hear that a lot in my practice. Kids would say, I don't think she realizes that, you know, this is impacting me too, because sometimes parents, you know, when they're really angry, they'll say like, this isn't happening to you. Like this is happening to me or or they're very consumed with all the life changes and upset that's happening in their life. They forget that, you know, this is equally happening to their child. So hopefully that's not you. I mean, hopefully you're not even going through a divorce, but if you are, you know, just be cognizant of that. I do have a couple of articles on my website about divorce. Hold on a second. Let me look them up. So I wrote an article called the 10 worst mistakes that people make when they're going through a divorce. <laughs> it's a very, very optimistic title. I'm so sorry. And you can find that at anxioustollers.com backslash divorce dash mistakes. I'll leave a link in the show notes. If you're watching this, well, listening to this on iTunes, I'll just put it in the show notes, but you can also you can go to anxioustollers.com, which is my website, and you can type in um, keyword divorce I have like a search button at the very bottom of my website and it will pop up that article. And I actually think I wrote a couple more. I only write about anxiety and OCD, but I used to write about everything. Yeah. Avoid these five common mistakes when parenting through divorce, parenting through divorce, get, Oh, I have a divorce workbook. I totally forget that sometimes. So a really long time ago, like, gosh, I'm trying to remember. I don't even remember how long ago I made a divorce workbook, like probably like maybe 11 years ago. And then I made a digital version of it like recently, like in the last three years. And I put it on uh, tpt.com. I think it's called tpt.com. Let me see. No, it's called teachers, teacherspayteachers.com. Anyway, I'll leave a link in the show notes. I actually completely space that I have this divorce workbook, but it's for kids who are ages like three to, um, I'd say like three to 11 or maybe three to 12, depending on your child's developmental level. And it's like all the things that I used to do in my therapy practice. I made like these cool exercises and how I would walk through kids. So it's, a, it's like a workbook for kids ages three to 11 who are going through a divorce and little exercises and things that they can do to kind of just process those feelings. But anyway, so I did write a couple of articles around divorce because of that as well. And if that's what you're experiencing right now, you can go and look at that workbook. It's like a $4.99 workbook. It's digital. So you just pay for it and you download it. So pretty cool, very accessible. It's like what I do in therapy. But anyway, so we talked about validating your child's feelings and not blaming your child and taking the guilt away. And then you want to kind of normalize things. And so the next thing that I wanted to bring up is you want to sit with your child and you want to talk about what is not changing. 
And so when you're going through a life change, and I can totally relate to this as an adult, you feel like your entire world is crumbling. So highlight to your child what is not going to be changing. And even if they're changing schools, you might say something like, you know, changing schools is a really big thing, but you have to remember your house is going to be the same. Your family's the same. You have the same pet dog. You know, all the friends in the neighborhood are going to be the same and you can still keep in touch with them because they can still come over on the weekends. The only thing in your life that's changing, which is a big change, but it's the only thing that's changing is that you're going to go to a different school and meet more people. So framing it in that way, if your child's going through a divorce, you say, there are going to be a lot of changes, but there are going to be some things that are going to be the same. You know, my house is going to be the same and maybe dad's house or mom's house is going to be different, but my house is going to be the same. Or even if you're both moving, we're going to live in the same state. You know, we're still going to be in blah, blah, blah. And we're still going to have the dog and, you know, grandma's still here and she's going to come over. Your school's the same. Your friends are the same. Whatever is the same you want to highlight. You know, if if they're dealing with the grief, I know it is so hard that aunt so-and-so died and that's really sad. So we're validating and sitting with their fears and their, their upset. But then we say, thankfully, we have so much loving family still here that we can enjoy. You know, we still have uncle so-and-so and and grandma and grandpa and, you know, dad and your brothers and sisters, you're surrounded by people that love you. So highlighting, even if it seems really obvious, and even if your child's quite old, you know, 16, 17, it's just comforting to have someone remind you of all the things in your life that aren't changing. And it's kind of anchoring. So to sum up a lot of what we talked about today, you want to sit with what they're dealing with. You don't want to be too overzealous and too cheerleady and be all excited and trying to pump them up before sitting with their feelings. And then you want to talk about all the things that are not changing. So we did talk about previewing as well. That was the first point was slowly introduce the concept if possible, because the more information you can give your child, the better. After you've done those three things, there are some other things that you can do that are just very concrete to make life easier. So if you're getting a divorce, the more you can keep things the same, the better. And so I recommend that parents keep a very good schedule. The less back and forth, the better. And so every change that a child has to make is disruptive. A lot of times parents will think, you know, well, I I really want to see my child as much as I can. So I'll see them for a day or two. And then the partner will see them for a day or two. And then they'll come back to me for a day or two. And for an anxious child in general, not to get into custody arrangements, because that's not my thing, but that's discombobulating. The less change you can do, the better. If there's one switch off in the week, that's better than four or three. It's just too disorienting for most kids. If you can have stuff at one house and stuff at the other house so that child doesn't have to be packing or, you know, I have this comfort item over here, but I don't have that comfort item over at dad's house. Or sometimes parents start to fight about those things and they're like, well, you can't bring that because that's from that house and it's a comfort object. So it's nice in a perfect world if people could be a little bit more understanding for the child and have comfort items at both houses. So that's with the divorce. With moving schools, there is a lot of things that you can do to prepare them. The more you can mentally prepare them, like 
I'm sure that you probably, if you're an anxious person, maybe even if you're not anxious, like I prepare the crap out of everything. <laughs> like if I'm going somewhere, if like, let's say I am, I'm trying to think of an example. If I'm going on a trip by myself, which doesn't happen often anymore, but if I was to do that, like I plan everything out. I'm like, okay, I will, I'm going to go to the airport. I'm going to leave at like this time and I'll get to the airport and then I'm going to have this book in my backpack. I'm going to read this book and then I'm going to sit at the airport for like two or three hours because I'm neurotic and I'm going to have to get there really early. And then I'm going to eat at this place. I'm going to get on the plane. And then when I rent the car, let me look, let me pull up the map of the airport that I'm going to land at. Okay. Here's the rental place. So I can go to baggage claim and I can, there's a shuttle right over here to the rental place where I can get the car. Like I will map it all out so that I feel less anxious. And then when I have all those plans in my head, I feel more confident in the moment when I'm doing all of it because I like already have it mapped out in my head. Anxious kids are the exact same way. I'm just an anxious adult, but they want to know like, where do I go? Like, where am I going to eat? Where are my classes? Um, What's the schedule like? What is the building like? And so the more you can prepare, the better. Sometimes you have to be a bit of a squeaky wheel as a mom and go in to the office and say, Hey, you know, my kid's new. Is it okay if we have a tour first or can she meet her teachers or can we walk around the lunchroom? Whatever you can do to preview the school before the first day, the better. And sometimes they'll give them a buddy and that really helps if they can get a buddy and you can ask them, is there anyone that you can like pair them up with the first week so that they're not by themselves? If they're changing schools in the middle of the school year, that's a really nice thing to do. If they're starting high school, like everybody else, that might be very weird. <laughs> so don't do that. They might actually hate you for that. So But you want, if they're in elementary school and it's like a new place, schools can be very accommodating if you ask them. So those are all really good things to do. If it's grief, you know, then you can do stuff to honor the person that's passed away or the pet that has passed away so that they don't feel like nobody cares because there's a feeling I think that anxious kids get when somebody's passed away that, okay, everybody's moving on. And nobody cares. And that's not the case, but everybody just has a different way of coping. So honoring that person or pet or asking your anxious kid, how would you like to honor that person or pet? That can be a very helpful way to process grief. So I know we're talking about a lot of really, really extremely different types of things, divorce and pet death and human death and moving and changing schools, but they're all related in the sense that they kind of create some upheaval in the anxious kids world. Now with changing houses, another weird tidbit that I wanted to add to that is in a perfect world, if you are able to not have your child there on moving day, that helps a lot. I can tell you as a reformed anxious kid that there was nothing worse than seeing everything taken out of your house And also like we were like mini slaves. So not only were we moving, but like we had me and my siblings really had to do the brunt of the moving while my parents kind of, I don't know what they were doing, but we had to move all of our stuff. So it was like, it was very tiring and taxing as a kid, just feeling like looking at all those boxes and knowing like we had to move them and we had to unpack them. And it was like, ugh. But on top of that, it was also anxiety producing because it was like, oh my gosh, all our stuff is like everywhere. And I'm, 
I'm very neurotic. I didn't realize how neurotic I was until we had family here this past week. And like, I didn't realize how I keep everything in its place. <laughs> like I'm too neurotic. Well, like I'm, I'm neat. And so as a kid, I was that way. Like if you went into my room as a little kid, like I had folded all my clothes. I didn't have OCD in that way, but like all my clothes were folded and all my stuff was neatly put away. And it was because like my, well, partly because that's my personality and partly because I'm anxious, but also because there was so much family chaos that that was like the only, that was the only control and order that I had. So if your child's seeing a lot of mess, that could be overwhelming for them. If your child has a lot of anxiety, you might want to pack their room and then unpack their room first, have it totally done and then have them come in. And that way, even if the house is in disarray, their room is totally unpacked and totally ready for them. There's something very soothing about that. And that would really help with the transition. So that might seem extreme and your child may not need that. But I think if you have a really anxious child, that's an amazing gift to give them is to pack up their room for them. And then that's the first room that gets unpacked and put them at a friend's house or a relative's house for the day that you move. And then you don't bring them back to the new house until their room is totally undone, unpacked. And it's, that's really not coddling or spoiling them. That's just helping them process the transition because it's so rough. Another thing that I'd recommend doing is getting a calendar. If something is going to happen on a schedule, so not like these spontaneous deaths or things that are happening that then you're just trying to recover from. But if you know you're going to be moving or if you know, okay, we're getting a divorce and you know, I'm moving out on this date or, you know, we're going to change the custody arrangement, or these are the dates that you're going to go to your dad's. And these are the dates that you'll be going to your mom's, or this is the date that we're moving from our house, or this is the date that we're going to be changing your school, get a calendar and put it on there. And even if your child's older, a visual is really helpful in general. So like in my, in my kitchen, I have this huge whiteboard calendar and I color code it. (laughs) Every time I talk, I sound really neurotic, but I color code it. So everybody has a color. Um, well not everybody actually. Okay. So I am a color and then like, there's a general color for like holidays and just general things. And then the kids have a color. And so they know to just look for their color. They all are just one color but they know that that's like a kid event. And so it's helpful because they can look at when do they have swim class or when do they have a doctor's appointment or when do they have off at school or when are we going on vacation? And I do notice that all three of my kids look at that calendar more than I would have ever thought they would. Cause I did it for me because I'm still a product of all that craziness as a child. Like you don't, you don't really recover from that. I still have a really hard time now with change because it happens so often and it happens spontaneously. And so my parents, like they went on a trip and we stayed at our friend's house and we had just moved. So we were renting this house in trying to think we were in Texas at the time and they went on this trip and they came back and they were like, we're moving to New Jersey. And then I was like, when? And it was like, well, we're going to move in two weeks. And so we had like, we had not even finished unpacking the current house that we were in. And so there was no warning and it was 
that kind of stuff was overwhelming. And so now, like I told my husband, I joked, I was like, we're going to buy a house and we're going to die in that house. And he's like, you are so morbid, but it's not me being morbid. It's me just craving that stability and that need for comfort and wanting to provide that for my kids. Now that's extreme. And I think I'm getting better now because I realize the house is just a house. Home is where your family is, (laughs) but it's true. I think I'm getting better. I mean, now I'm in my forties. That's very pathetic, but I'm sensitive to my kids and what kind of changes. One day we moved a half hour from where my oldest daughter was going to school and I wanted her to finish out the year. So I drove a half hour away you know, in rush hour every day so that she can finish out the school year and not have to change because I didn't want her to go through what I went through. So I go way out of my way to make sure my kids don't have to experience too much change, but life is going to happen. People are going to die, unfortunately. And we probably, you know, we might move a house. like, you don't know, like you can't control that, but you can control how you handle it, preparing them, putting it on the calendar, talking to them, previewing it, um, not putting them in a position to make big, big decisions, making sure they don't feel guilty about it and sitting with their own grief and their own pain. So you can do all that. That didn't happen to me. And so that's why I messed up. <laughs> I'm not messed up, but it, it is a sore point for me. So I hope you find that helpful. If you're enjoying these podcasts, I would really, really appreciate it. If you're listening on iTunes, you can just hit a star. It will take you literally like two seconds, but the star rankings are very helpful so that other people can see whether this would be a good podcast to listen to. So just hit a star and rate it. If you're feeling really giving, you can leave a review. Those are really helpful, not only for my ego, but for other parents who are looking for good quality podcasts that are actually going to help them understand their child's anxiety or OCD. I do want to thank anyone who's left a review. I've gotten quite a few extra reviews in the past week, and I really appreciate it. I do appreciate also people hitting those stars because I've noticed that a lot of people have been doing that. And that's really a great way to give back, to show your appreciation. And it takes literally two seconds. I want to thank you to Christina for leaving a great review. She thought that I rambled too much, but then she grew to really appreciate it. (laughs) I thought that was kind of funny. She wrote, when I first listened to this podcast, I thought it was a little rambling, but I grew to really appreciate it because in her ramblings, I heard my own experience being validated and normalized. And now I listen all the time and hear so many good things. And I'm learning so much about how to approach my kids and how to help them. And I hope to be successful at helping them navigate their way to less anxious living. Thanks, Natasha, for caring to share. I appreciate that. And so if you want me to read your review, leave it up there and I will read it. And I am sorry, I ramble. And I thought about that and I was like, you know what? That's just my style. I do. I ramble, but that's kind of my podcast style. And it's not for everybody, but I'm glad that you, Christina, I'm talking to you, (laughs) found some quality in my rambling because that is pretty much not going to change. So I hope everybody is having a wonderful week. I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.